Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Matthew Miller, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Matis Yahu Shulman about his new book, Reimagining Repentance, Experiencing the High Holidays Through the Lens of Acceptance and Commitment Theory, published by Kodesh Press in 2023. Reimagining Repentance is unique in its attempt to bridge Torah content on the high holidays with modern psychological theory about change. The book reviews the major themes of each part of the high holidays and explores psychological principles related to each theme. The text contains clinical anecdotes weaved with Torah ideas and will be both a meaningful and enjoyable read for anyone wishing for a psychological perspective on the high holidays. Dr. Schuldman, welcome to the show. Oh, so thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I wonder if you can begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself. Um, sure. Uh, where to start? Well, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> during my, my day job, I'm a researcher at uh, New York State Psychiatric Institute. Um, I do addiction research on uh, opioid use disorder treatments. Um, so that's my kind of usual uh, usual day to day. And then, um, at nights, late at night, I, I really like to write <laughs> about, um, Torah topics, Jewish topics. Uh, before I became a, a doctor, I was, a, a rabbi, um, and I, uh, taught for one year and then went off to medical school. So I, I've always sort of missed teaching Torah and, uh, Jewish topics. So I, I, I'm, I, uh, I, I'm trying to bridge the two of those with, the, with, uh, with the book, but that that's that yeah. So that's that's me, I guess. I, I have uh, I have a nice family. If you want to hear about <laughs> about them, but that's not that's not not too relevant. So. Uh, and how did you come to write the book? So um, the book uh, started out as a speeches actually. So um, every year, my father has a sort of a small side minion side a prayer group for the high holidays and i started going years ago um and every once in a while he would ask me to give the speech and then as the years progressed i would give more of the speeches which is very kind of the of the audience to to to, to hear me talk but um you know i would give a talk and i was in psychiatry residency and i would think about something and something maybe connected from Rosh Hashanah with um, some of my studies. And, you know, I would afterwards, I said, yeah, no, I should write that down. So I started writing down the speeches. And then uh, as they came together, I said, you know, maybe we should put this together into a book. And then many, many revisions later, it's published as, uh, as the book. But that, that's the story of how the, how the book came out. I think it's always helpful when we're looking at and speaking about books to start from the beginning. So I think oftentimes the, the title itself is a good jumping off point, a place that we can start to discuss and get into the ideas. But let's start even before we get to the subtitle. You have the book title as Reimagining Repentance. Yeah. What exactly 
or why exactly are we reimagining repentance and what do we mean specifically when we refer to repentance here? Yeah, so great. Thanks for <laughs> noticing the title and 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 uh, um, bringing it up. So I think it came to me, the title came to me as I was walking one day during COVID, uh, just sort of uh, by the river in Teaneck, there's a nice little path and um, I would take walks there often because <laughs> a, lot, a lot of work from home time and uh, sometimes between meetings, I would be finishing a one one call and joining another call. And I was thinking, oh, what should my book? And it just came to me, Reimagining Repentance. So I, the idea is, I think that, um, you know, the Jewish High Holidays are really all about um, how, to, how to improve ourselves every year. I mean, there's a lot of focus, if you look at the prayers, especially on um, Yom Kippur, but even starting before that, we talk about repentance, the three things, you know, one of the three things that gives us a good year. So there's a lot of focus on self-improvement and getting better. Um, so that's the repentance part. <laughs> and, and the reimagining part is that, you know, um, I think this is sort of a tr- traditional historical way that people um, approach their uh, their holiday experience if they are trying to improve, you know, the, maybe making New Year's resolutions, <laughs> as you might say. Um, and I think I wanted to say, let's reimagine that. Let's think about things a little differently. Uh, you know, um, one of my pet peeves, I guess, is this sort of the try harder. And, and you, you know, if you try it harder, you do. That's all you have to do. And you do better. Um and so when we know in, in, in psychiatry that that's, that's not real, right? You can't just tell people, just, just don't think that way. You'll be fine or get yourself out of this depression or stop worrying like that. You know, it doesn't work. You know, just because you have the willpower to do something, you know, sometimes you need guidance or ideas um, how, to, how to make yourself um, change or, or be better or be more the way you want to be. And, and sometimes it takes other people helping you and some wisdom. And so... The reimagining part was sort of saying, let's let's rethink how we approach uh, personal growth, uh, and so that that was that was the title, and so I, th- I think it's a good one. Uh, there was there was another, there was a couple others that were batted around. Um, Alec was pushing for uh, act of repentance or something because of the act part, but I, I actually I'm happy with reimagining repentance. So. Uh, and repentance is, it's, of course, a translation of, of the Hebrew term teshuvah. But what exactly do we mean by repentance? What is its definition? How are, you, how are we to think about it in a broad sense? Yeah, so um, a good question. And, and maybe it has some emotional baggage, the word repentance. But the Hebrew word is teshuvah, which it doesn't translate exactly. It could also be translated as more of a return, uh, like lashuv in Hebrew means to to return. Um, so it's returning, and some people talk about returning to the source, returning to yourself. Um, but I, I think, you know, I think, as I said, I think for me, the idea is self-improvement and, and, and really trying to to make yourself change for the better. That's, that's really what, and I think that's really how the Jewish community, uh, at least, I think the Jewish community that's, you know, locked into the high holidays is really focused on um, that idea. Let me let me make this a time to, to work on myself. So for me, that's really what the focus is on. Not not so much about I've done a sin and I want to, you know, I guess historically there's a context of people saying, well, I've sinned. 
and therefore I have to repent. I have to do something to make up for that or, or atone for that. And so uh, there's there's an element of that as well in the high holidays. But but I you know I, I which is I think part of self improvement, right? Knowing that maybe things didn't go so well in the past and and trying to make yourself better in the future. So beautiful, very very well said. If we're going to then go from the title to the subtitle, the subtitle is experiencing the high holidays through the lens of acceptance and commitment theory. So you probably take apart and, and, and break apart a number of these, but let's just focus on the end part. So what is the acceptance and commitment? Th- what is acceptance and commitment therapy? Yeah. So, um, great question. And, uh, you know, I, I, have been giving classes about the book a lot recently. I this past uh, Saturday, I gave three classes in a row, one after the other different synagogues in the neighborhood. I asked every audience, so who's heard of acceptance commitment therapy? And, and almost no one ever raises their hand in the answer. So um, it's a new kind of psychotherapy. It's it's, uh, it's sort of an outgrowth of cognitive behavioral therapy, which almost everyone's heard of, which, you know, which was developed in, you know, you know, I mean, uh, so this gets, we're getting on the more than 50 years, right? So it's, it's sort of an older kind of psychotherapy. This is much newer. Um, it's, it was developed by a, uh, uh, mostly Steve Hayes in, uh, and a group in, um, in Nevada. <laughs> and um, what they did was they took um, ideas from a, a couple different psychotherapies and sort of me- merged them into one global approach to therapy. And it's really beautiful in terms of how they approach things. Um, it's hard to give on one foot. You should read the book, <laughs> get the sense, or you could read. Um, I should just, I'll just give a shout out to some of the great um, ACT therapy books. So, so um, Russ, uh, Steve Hayes has a book, Get Out of Your Mind Into Your Life, which is great. Um, there's also Russ Harris has a really, I think, the most popular book called, on ACT therapy called, um, uh, sorry, sorry, The Happiness Trap, which, uh, which is really sort of, the, the, the title sort of says part of act, what ACT Therapy is about. Um, ACT Therapy says we should change what our goal in treatment is. Instead of saying, well, let me, let me try to get rid of these feelings, these negative feelings that I'm having or negative thoughts. ACT Therapy says, well, in the moment, those things are really beyond our control. They're really outside our control. We can't really change our experience right now. If you're feeling sad, that's happened to you already. You're feeling sad, right? Um, and, or if you're feeling anxious. And so to try to control that experience is actually a trap. So that's why the book is called the happiness trap. And, um, it really is true for some, not for certainly many patients that this could be a danger of really getting caught up in trying to too much control our inner experiences, our thoughts, our emotions. And so act therapy says, let's re reframe, let's rethink how we're going to go about treatment or go about thinking about our lives and say, you know, maybe we'll just have to say, whatever I'm experiencing, whether it's good or bad, let me try to live a full life. Let me live a life by my own, but living by my values um, and, and really to do the things that I really want to do in life. It's a lot about behavior and really taking action um, in the direction that, 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 that you, the things you towards the things that you really believe in. And so that I think is one piece of act therapy <laughs> Um, and I think that's one of the pieces that really fits nicely with the Jewish ideals, which are Judaism is a religion that's very action focused, very much. Let's, 
you know, let's get down to doing things. I mean, there's, there's reflection, there's study and there's prayer, but there's also, it's very much also, um, about, about doing the right thing and making sure to go out and do the right thing. And so, uh, and even if you're kind of feeling down, go out and do the right thing anyway, you know, and maybe you'll feel better. And that, um, and that is, uh, that is one of the sort of main messages of ACT therapy. So, so that's, that's a quick introduction to ACT therapy. I can talk more about it if you want, but you know, maybe you have some other points you want to discuss, or maybe you have some questions about how ACT therapy works. That's great. I think that's a, a good summary. And, and I appreciate your point that people should go read the book. And I, I agree with that. I think that we're always trying to give a taste, give people a good idea of what's in the book. And then they, they should, of course, go out and, and get their own copy. Once we, I want to discuss a little bit more about some of the the beginning parts of the book before we even turn into the contents and look a little bit at the the front cover. We're currently only in audio form, so one can't see it, but they can look online. They can look at their copy of the book and and have a look. What is the the front cover image and why was it chosen either by you or by the editorial team? Yeah, the front cover is is an interesting story, actually. Uh, also, these these things just sort of develop over, as you work on a project. They just come together. So um, I guess I'll describe it. It's um, uh, it's sort of like a rainbow color in as the background, but the shape is the shape of a um, how many sides is that? I think it's a uh, six sided, right? So it's a six sided star. And it's and there's sort of like a diamond shape around the star, and that that shape, the six-sided star with the diamond shape around the star, is taken from um, something called the hexaflex, which is an act therapy uh, figure to try to help you visualize the six parts of act therapy. If you look at the book, if you get the book, or you can just Google it online, but the book has a has a has a uh, a, a hexaflex example, and it. In, in one of the earlier chapters, and each of the um, points of the star of the six-sided star are another one of the goals of act therapy. I could tell you it's a good excuse to tell you the, the six parts of act therapy. Um, uh, the six the six sort of ideals are um, contact with the present moment, which is sort of like connecting with your experiences and in, in, in that uh, sort of right where you are, really like being in the in in the present. It's a mindfulness-based idea. Um, values, sort of defining what your values are, committed action, taking action towards those values, um, selfless context, understanding, and that's sort of the most hard, hardest one to understand, that that one is about um, sort of understanding that, um, you know, who you are isn't defined by any one thing, and uh, sort of understanding that you, you, can, you can be separated from your thoughts, be separated from your emotions, and even be separated from your accomplishments or actions that you're sort of you, the you is separate from from those other things. Um, diffusion, which is um, sort of not being too caught up in your thoughts, it's connected. Well, each of these are often connected. And then the last one is expansion, which is the ability to fully experience emotions when they're happening. And in the hexaflex, you have those six ideas. Um, on the six corners, and there's lines connecting all of them, and it makes a nice, I don't know if it's an intentional Jewish star, but it's, it, it is. It could be a Jewish star, right? And so with, a, you know, with everything, sort of things crossing in the middle. And so that's what we started with, and then we added the color, 
and then it didn't look exactly right. So we added little uh, circles into the um, into the image to try to sort of get at um, uh, in in psychology and in uh, neuroscience. There's an idea called the connectome, where the brain has um, centers that are talking to each other, and they map those in this sort of diagram in a cartoon where you have larger circles, smaller circles, and lines connecting them. So we, we sort of wanted to add some of that, that element to give that feel to the figure. And then after we did all that, we, I, we looked at it, and, it, and we said, hey, that looks a lot like the, the sphero, the, the, ten, um, you know, the, sphere, the ten spheres that we talked about in Jewish mysticism. So you got a lot of things in this, in this, uh, in this front cover illustration. But every, and everyone, anyone who's listening should take, take a look, even if you don't buy the book. Just Google... Uh, Reimagining repentance just to see the cover and, and, and I think it's interesting. So no, that's, that's, that's <laughs> it's quite deep. I, I like it. It's it's a nice it's a nice story. One of the things I think we've been talking about or maybe around is that there is this potential connection, confluence, intersection, interaction between Judaism, Torah, and psychology, therapy. And I think that in some circles that's taken for granted that there could be this connection, whereas in other circles in maybe more right-wing orthodox circles in certain segments of the Jewish community, there is or perhaps was a reticence towards towards therapy and towards mental health. What's your take on that? Do you think we've moved, the Jewish communities moved in a certain way? Do you think this book could or would help in that? What, what's your take on, on that broader issue? Well, you're right. It's, it's, contra- it's been a controversy, and I... Uh... You know, we started off on the wrong foot with psychiatry and Judaism with Freud, father of modern psychiatry. Um, you know, he wrote a book basically talking about religion as a defense mechanism, really kind of, I guess you could say, um, you know, so sort of deconstructing religion or, 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 or sort of t- taking a much more so- sociological, psychological approach and not acknowledging that it's you know that it's something that's meaningful that it's sort of for many people it's the, the way to live right it's your, it's, it's your way of life um something so much deeper and um he was pretty down on on religion and so or certainly organized religion and um and so we got off on the wrong foot and of course uh the religious world didn't necessarily take well to to that and and, and then um even though we moved beyond Freud um, in the world of psychiatry. I mean, no one really practices the way Freud practiced. And, you know, we, we still have some of his ideas, but eh, very, in very subtle ways. And then they influence our, our, our practice. Um, but despite that, I mean, even uh, we've had more modern thinkers in psychology that were pretty anti-religious uh, um, in different ways. I don't go through everyone. B.F. Skinner was sort of very... Um, you know, he's the extreme behaviorist and, you know, obviously a great thinker, but um, kind of minimized the idea of the possibility of free will and sort of talked about how people are programmed to be a certain way. Um, so we have a lot of um, confrontation and antagonism between the two fields. Uh, but at the same time, I think that both psychology, psychiatry, and Judaism, I, I, sort of as postmodernism has moved on in our society, and people have realized that uh, we don't have to. People, I think, at least in, in academia, we don't have to, standing by you know, some, extremism is a bad idea in general. 
Um, psychiatry certainly would like would love to embrace each person's values and religion and 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 and, and value that and and, and respect that. Um, sometimes there's conflicts and there's you know and there's sort of ethical questions that some people are coming across. You know, let's say religion is maybe pushing something that's not psychologically healthy. Then what? But certainly overall, we understand and believe that people's value systems, belief systems are so important to who they are. And um, and we would never and I think it would be a, a very only a very bad clinician would try to negate that and say, you know, I'll tell you how you're supposed to think about the world. Um, and um, and so I think Judaism and Orthodox Judaism sort of was the, the side of Judaism that's probably anti-psychiatry, um, I really think has moved very much towards the idea of embracing the field. Um, although there are, you know, maybe one one or two rabbis that are still very against uh, going to visit a psychologist or psychiatrist. Um, even in the most ultra-Orthodox places in America, I mean, I, I have a job as a medical director at a clinic in Lakewood, New Jersey, where it's a very, very strong ultra-Orthodox community. Um, there's a very strong um, commitment towards embracing the scientific principles to try to help people, the, the principles of psychiatry. Um, and people are really able to integrate very nicely the psychological ideas with Torah ideas and, and help a lot of people and, and um, some really great people that work at that clinic. Uh, it's, uh, and you know, I think they really um, do a great job. So, you know, I think this book, I hope will help. I think a lot of people have come before me, uh, you know, uh, Rabbi Abram J. Tversky, who is a, was, you know, a great thinker and also a, a master marketer, being able to connect with uh, Charles Schultz and including Peanuts cartoons in his, uh, in his books about Torah and psychology. I mean, really amazing. And um, he was really popularized the connection between the two fields. And he, you know, he came, unfortunately, he recently passed away. So we should say a blessed memory. Um, but he, you know, he's obviously a great thinker and and a pioneer in this area and, and really did a huge, I mean, I can kind of speak about how, how great of an impact he's had on the ultra-Orthodox world. And he was very much more even a part of the ultra-Orthodox world, um, really, really inside it. Um, you know, and, and more recently, we've had many people writing on the top on on the topic. Um, this is Dr. Palkovitz, Yeshiva University, who's written some nice books about uh, Judaism, Judaism and psychology. Um, there's a Dr. Feiner who uh, works, I think, at Muncie, who wrote a nice book on mindfulness in Judaism. Uh, so there's really a lot being written. As a, I wanted to give a shout out to a different author. I don't, it's okay. I, I don't mind talking about my, I guess, competition. But uh, someone just wrote a book about, um, I think, attachment theory. And, and uh, by, I think the last name is Danishevsky. I forget what it's called. I think it's Torah Attachment. I don't remember the name, but you can look up that. So if anyone's interested in that, that's, uh, that's another great book. So there's a lot being written on the topic. Um, a lot of people are trying to connect, make the connection. And I, I think it really makes sense that, um, you know, Torah sort of gives, gives us our values, tells us where to go. Um, psychology helps us manage our emotions and our feelings uh, towards our own values. So, now, that, that was a nice whirlwind tour of, of some of the, the different thinkers and thoughts and, and approaches, which I really appreciate. Um, again, it's this an audio format, so no one will see it, but I have here also Psyched for Torah, which is yeah, another Kodesh Press yeah. book, I guess another competitor, and um, which I, I did an interview with him as well. People can, can check that out. And Robert Danishevsky, a fellow Chicago native, there'll be an interview coming out with him as well on his book Attached, which is 
another nice book to take some of the principles of Judaism, psychology, and and see where where the confluence and interactions are. Really nice book as well to read. Um, so that's a, a really nice way to start getting into the book. And um, so we've seen the cover. We've looked at the, the title, the subtitle. We'll, we'll flip the page open and, and go to the beginning. One of the things to include in the book is a, an approbation letter of blessing from Rabbi Reichman. Um, wh- why did you decide to include it? What, what did you learn from him? Well, what can we learn from the letter and, and from, from him? Rabbi Reichman's amazing. Um, Rabbi Reichman... It's funny, when I came to talk to him about the book, he said, you know, my goal is to try to connect the and to teach people the psychological points in Hasidus. I said, oh, that must be how, why I wrote the book, because I learned from you so much, because it's really what the book is all about. Um, but Rabbi Reichman is really, you know, obviously a beloved and amazing teacher at Yeshiva University. Been there for years and years and years. Um, and I used to go to his... Uh, Thursday night classes, um, I think it started at like 10 o'clock. He would read the Shemi Shmuel for like an hour and a half. Just spellbinding. It's beautiful the way he would say it over. Shemi Shmuel is sort of a not that well-known Hasidic thinker, but Rabbi Reichman sort of is, has uh, has um, brought the Shemi Shmuel more out into the light and is teaching more and more people about it. So, I, I you know, and so... Um, you know, I think it really made sense for me to ask him for the um, approbation because a lot I, I quote quite a bit from Shemi Shmuel in the book, and really only because of his influence. So, um, you know, so it was an honor to be able to to ask him for the approbation. And actually, people think that people don't read the book that read the book if if they give an approbation, but and and it's sort of just a kind of a routine thing. But it really wasn't. And he he read the the book and he gave me. Uh, feedback, and he told me I had to train certain things, which I did, and I think it made the book a lot better. Actually, that he uh, that he looked through it, and he and he um, gave me suggestions on things that maybe should be different, and so that was that was really how how it happened. And I consider myself, you know, he's one of my one of my teachers, and I consider myself a student. So it was an honor to have him write the letter. I, I, his letter was really also great, and he sort of captured the book really nicely. And, so it was, it was, it was great to, to have him do that. You don't have to get into the specifics of what he thought should be changed, but more, <laughs> more generally speaking with any book, there's an editorial process, certain things you want to have included. The editor doesn't want it. You decide you don't want it. There's too much content, whatever it might be. There's always a process. The book itself is around 160 odd pages. What were the things that you decided to cut? Why did you decide to cut them? What were some of the thoughts behind that? Yeah, you know, I think you're the first person to ask me that. So, but it's a good question. Um, there is a, there is, there were things that I wrote that didn't make it in. Um, you know, I had a section that I wanted to write about uh, a little bit more mystical about um, the balance between uh, Chesed and Gvur, which is. Um, loving kindness, literally loving kindness and, and sort of strength. But I think it, it could have a lot of psychological meanings, especially in modern thinkers and how they view those two sides and the balance between the two, sort of openness versus closed, um, growth versus sort of accepting who you are, where, where you're at. And um, I really, I, you know, it's actually, I think I wanted to write a whole nother book on that topic and I was starting to write it. I I don't know if that's going to be my next project, but it's one of the books. So that we, I had a whole section on on that that ended up getting cut out, and I said, you know what, I'll put that in the book for the mystics that 
because I, I think that this book is uh, the goal of the book is really to appeal to everyone. <laughs> and sometimes when you get too into the, um, the those sort of more, it's more allegorical, it's a little more poetic. Um, sometimes people who aren't interested in that kind of thing don't connect with it as well. So I left that out. So <laughs> that's, uh, that was one thing. Um, I should remember if there's anything else really significant I cut out. Uh, not, not really. <laughs> so. All right. Well, uh, when the, if, and when the next book comes out, we can have a, a further discussion and dialogue about that one. Mm-hmm. In the book, there's a number of, of chapters, and it goes through the High Holidays, um, starting before the High Holidays with with, um, with Elul, the month before um, Rosh Hashanah, and, and it goes into Slichot, the penitential prayers that are said either from certain uh, rites and rituals from the beginning of the month, other ones start a little bit later, and then it goes into the holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and then some further essays as well. So that's sort of the, the lay of the land, the, the structure. What were the other structural components that you included in the book? So how did you how did you structure it? What what are the different elements, and how did you decide that? And were there other structures that you thought could have worked as well? Well, it was a long and arduous process because, as I said, we started. I started with speeches um, that were mostly about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, and there were some ideas that I really wanted to get out uh, that I thought were really sort of fundamental and I thought they connected well with Slichot. I could say them over. I, I actually, I should tell the listeners that I, I think that the hardest and maybe the, some of the less engaging chapters, the first chapters, if you read the end, I think the end is really great in the middle. <laughs> so if you do get the book um, and you're having trouble getting through the first couple of chapters, you can skim them. But but the first couple chapters really were ideas I thought were so fundamental. I needed to include them. Um, one of them was the idea of um, being able to see nuance and not seeing everything in black and white. And I thought I connected that with the idea of saying um, starting the slichot after midnight or so at midnight. We the first night, you know, in, in most traditional synagogues, they waste people have to stay up really late and say the slichot at like twelve forty in the morning. Um, and that time, the middle of the night uh, in Jewish thought is very special. And I quoted Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, who, uh, who's, who talked about how that time is, is a time when God really connects with the world because it's a time when we're in that balance between, um, like I said earlier, chesed and gvura, between the two sort of two elements of creation. But the, the, the ability to take multiple things and integrate them is really a special idea in Judaism, but it's also a really important idea in psychology. It's like very, very fundamental in any psychological school of thought you look at. Uh, there's like a focus on that. Um, in traditional CBT, there's just a, 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 lot of, a, a lot about all or nothing thinking and Freudian thinking. There was a lot about, you know, black and white or sort of th- seeing things all in one way. And so I really felt like I had to put that in. So I, I made that work, that chapter work. And then there's a sections on the slichot that are also about, um, you know, who, like how do we view ourselves? Who, who are we really? And I, I mentioned a little bit in, in, um, in, the, um, in the discussion about ACT, that ACT therapy, one of the fundamental ideas is that well, who we are is beyond our actual, our thoughts, our personalities, our actions, our name, and all these things are really separate from the very, very deep essence of the self, which is really unchangeable. 
it's a really beautiful idea and it fits very nicely with uh, obviously the Jewish ideas about the soul and, and the essence of the self being connected to God and really untaintable the same way. Um, and so I, I thought I really need to put those part. I thought they were really important fundamental ideas, good things to start with. They, they fit well with Slichot, so I put them in there, even though they're a little hard to understand and maybe didn't come out, come out as engaging as the later chapters. Um, the, the, the rest of the book in terms of structure was, um, you know, Rosh Hashanah, I think, is a lot about mindfulness. And I think that Shofar is just such a beautiful, mindful experience. And it's really a great way to start change is being able to sort of take a step back from what we're thinking all the time or what we're doing all the time and and being mindful. And so it, it, there's a lot there's a lot of focus on that in the first couple chapters. Um getting into Yom Kippur um, and sort of facing the parts of ourselves we don't like. Uh, there's a little bit about, um, or a chapter, one of my favorite chapters about accepting the negative parts of ourselves. And that's really what Yom Kippur is about. It's not so much about saying I'm going to change. It's about just acknowledging who we are in front of God and being honest. Um, and then, which is a sort of another really fundamental part of um, ACT therapy is being able to really come in contact with difficult and unpleasant feelings and experiences. Um, and so it really meld, meshed really well. And then ending with Sukkot, which I think really was beautiful. And that it, Sukkot is really a holiday all about, you know, making the mundane holy. And, you know, you can bring the most simple activity. As long as you do it in your Sukkah, it's a holy thing, right? So it's like you can be sleeping and you're doing the mitzvah. So um, it's really um, a holiday of, you know, realizing that we can, through our actions, through simple actions, we can um, live a meaningful life. And, and I think that really connects well with that element of act, which is action. So so I think that this, in a way that was that was where the book kind of started, that seeing that this progression in, in the high holidays for, and really including all these elements of act therapy, that the, the, the ability to take a step back, the ability to not connect with words so much, the ability to accept our, ourselves and our feelings, and then finally taking the actions that we really want to. So that was that was the structure of the book, and that's how it, it came out. And, uh, it you know, it took a lot of polishing, but eventually I think it kind of makes sense when you take a read. Yeah, I think that's a very well-thought-out structure, and one is guided from the beginning to the end in, in a really nice, polished way. One of the things that I think comes out very well is certainly the, the, the theory, the different ideas, and I think there's also things in the book which are more in a, in a practical sense. So thinking about how to actually apply these theories and principles to one's life and to their experience of the high holiday. So that word experience is in the, the title itself. What, what are some of those more practical things that, that one can do in order to take these principles, take these ideas and bring them into their lives? Some of the things in the book that I... Uh... So I was. I think one of the fun parts of writing the book was trying to bring um, the practical ex- exercises and things that you could try at home. You know, <laughs> try this at home, um, and trying to make it kind of like a self-help book in that area. So I, that that was a really great part of writing the book. Um, and I think um, you wanted an example, so I'll give you. I'll give you an example about Rosh Hashanah since we're getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. I don't know if the podcast is going to be out by then, but I'll give you the, this example. So I think. We talked about uh, the mindfulness of the shofar, how shofar is a mindful experience. Um, you know, uh, 
people think that in order to be mindful and to sort of to do something with, uh, with intention, you have to be thinking very hard or trying very hard about it. But mindfulness is actually not necessarily about trying. It's, it's actually a practice, like the ability of learning how to be able to let go of your thinking and working towards something, just experience. And so there is a, uh, a famous exercise in mindfulness called eating a raisin, which um, maybe some people will criticize me for talking so much about eating and connecting with eating. But I do think mm-hmm. it's actually a Jewish idea. The Kuzari speaks about it a little bit with regards to brachos um, that, you know, you, 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 an idea is that you take the raisin and you very, very slowly um, go through the process of eating it. So first looking at it, feeling it, noticing the, the color, noticing the texture, um, noticing the feeling of how your body reacts when you're about to eat it. You know, maybe you're noticing a little of anticipation, how your body changes. And sort of connecting with that and being aware of what's happening in your body while it's happening. And then actually eating the raisin and putting it in your mouth, it tastes what it feel like, what, what that feels like. And then doing it very, very slowly. And using that as, as an opportunity to just practice not thinking about things, but just experiencing. And so I think uh, if we practice that, I think it really will help also be able to just sit and listen to the shofar with intention and just to hear. Um, so I invited everyone in the book to say, well, you know, try it with the next, when you when you eat the apple and honey, try noticing the apple, noticing the honey. What does it look like? What does it taste like? What's that sweet taste? Take, slow it down, slow the experience down. Um, it's hard to... Teach mindfulness. It really is a practice. It's like it's like trying to teach someone how to hit a baseball by explaining it to them. Like you know, you got to go out and do it and get some coaching, maybe. But that's the general idea of, the, of that particular exercise. Um, some other exercises that I think some people connected with were um, also connected I, with Shofar is the idea of taking a step back from our inner narrative. So um, a person might have some negative thoughts that are bothering them. You know, uh, I wish, you know, let's say, I, I, I wish I could do this. Or I'm, I'm, I'm so terrible. I, you know, I, I'm so pathetic. Let's say, for example, somebody's getting that thought. Um, so ACT therapy has a very nice exercise based, again, in, in mindfulness therapy um, of saying, you know, think about that thought and then notice how you, how you react to it. So you think of the thought and then you notice, okay, now my heart is racing and my chest feels a little tight. And then um, the exercise is to tell, is to have the person um, say to themselves, okay, my mind is sending me the thought that I'm pathetic. So instead of actually fighting with the thought, you're just acknowledging that it's not part of you, this thought. It's just your mind sending you the thought. And how do you react when you think about things that way? And they say, and then the next, the last part of the exercise is I'm noticing that my mind is sending me the thought that I'm pathetic. So when you say it that way, you're able to really take so many steps away from the thought that you actually neutralize it. That's, that's the diffusion point that I mentioned earlier. So you're, you're, you're diffusing yourself from the words that your brain is is sending you. And so I think it's a, the chauffeur really in, in a way illustrates the idea of getting beyond words. That's why I thought it was connected, but it's a, it's a nice exercise to do. Um, it doesn't require struggling with a thought or telling yourself, well, I'm not pathetic because this or that just say, it's my brain sending me the thought. I don't have to 
interact with that, which is the, uh, it's the sort of the more mindful way of approaching negative thinking. So those are a couple, uh, those are a couple of the exercises. And I'm trained as a linguist. So I think going beyond words is something actually, which I, I very much appreciate. And I think it's something that's difficult, but very important for, for everyone. Well, the, yeah, linguistics is, um, is, is actually the beginning of, of, uh, ACT basic science that, there are people, there's something called relational frame theory, which is what ACT is supposed to be based on in, 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 uh, in, in, base, in basic science and sort of like the neuroscience, the linguistics, actually. And so there's a lot, there's actually a lot of overlap in terms of uh, how language um, is used, how it creates our, the way we see the world, but also can be dangerous and that it's a way of creating these negative patterns. So, yeah, the linguist would appreciate it. If you're interested in a book on it, which is an extremely dense, dense book that I have to admit, I couldn't read the whole thing. I, I read, I've skimmed it. I've read parts of it. It's called Relational Frame Theory. I think it's by Tornikey. Um, and so if you're interested in a real serious book on this topic. So, yeah, right. but you were going to ask a question. I'll add it to my reading list. One of the, So we've discussed a lot about the connection between or the different ideas from acceptance and commitment theory and how we can apply some of them, use some of them to better understand the high holidays, to experience the high holidays. But I think in some ways we can perhaps think about it in the other direction. So before the interview, I was asking you, are you rabbi doctor? Because you are both a rabbi and a doctor. We had discussions about that. You mentioned before that you're both a doctor and a rabbi. So I think both from a personal level, at a personal level, as well as in a more general sense, does it go the other way? So that's to say, can you, do you take the teachings of Judaism and, and apply them and therefore enrich your understanding of acceptance and commitment theory at a personal level? And do you think in, in, more, in, more, in a more general way, one can, so another Jewish person, maybe even someone who's not Jewish, can they enrich their understanding of this specific form of therapy? Or we can go beyond that as well. Can they take those teachings of Judaism and just have a more enriched understanding of, of, of therapy um, in general? So you're asking more about does, does, uh, can Judaism inform psychology? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if um, yeah I think... It's an interesting question. Um, I think, I think that a lot of the ideas in psychological thought are predated by, you know, ideas in in, um, in the Torah or in other religions. Um, I, I think um, because religion religion is sort of a way of life. It's 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 so all encompassing. It certainly touches on a lot of psychological issues. Um, and psychology, I think, has developed as a field with much more, it's much more sophisticated maybe in its organization and language, but a lot of the things, a lot of the basic concepts do appear in the Torah or in some, in some cases, in other, in, for example, like, you know, for example, in, in, with, with regards to act, I mean, a lot of the ideas probably, and I'm not an expert in, in Eastern religions, but a lot of the mindful ideas maybe are rooted in some Eastern philosophies or in some ways. But sort of brought into um, were brought into um, this clinical sense and uh, this clinical setting and this this context that being able to be used very clinically to help people. 
Um, and, you know, I made probably some of the ideas about values and, um, and committed action are, are really based in directly from Judaism. Um, Viktor Frankl is not a Jewish, uh, Orthodox Jewish person, but a very deeply Jewish person who went through the Holocaust and wrote the famous book, talking a lot about books on this podcast. It's the point of the podcast, right? Talking about books. So man's, man's search for meaning, which is, you know, one of the, obviously one of the modern classics in psychology, um, where he talks about his, um, his experiences in the camps and, and living through the Holocaust and then finding meaning in, even in that. And he developed a whole theory of psychology called logotherapy. It's all about finding value in, in life and, and meaning in life. And that's, as I mentioned, one of the six points on the hexaflex is, is values. And so it's really based on, in that. So I, I think that um, we can try to do it, but I think just psychology is always taken from earlier ideas and, and, and religion, I think, has always has, has influenced our thinking. Um, and so, uh, uh, we, yeah, sure, people should keep doing that. But, but it, I think in historical context, it really has happened. Nice. I, I appreciate that, that um, understanding and, and um, your, your, your thoughts on that. If we're go, to go back to the book, so we've discussed a little bit about Slichot and, 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 and some of the meaning and, and understanding behind that, a little bit about Rosh Hashanah, some ideas about Yom Kippur. I want to make sure we get also some ideas, some thoughts around Sukkot, the, the tail end of the High Holidays experience. What, what can we learn from Sukkot? What, what are some ideas about mindful, goal-oriented action that we can take from it, or more general themes that you've come across within the holiday? Sure. Um, so I, I mentioned, I started talking about one of the things, one of the points, which is I think Sukkot is a holiday where we appreciate a journey. Um, there's a danger in psychology and, and human experience, I think, and maybe it's sometimes a criticism of people that are very religious in, in some ways that people are often searching for a religious high, a feeling of like, you know, ecstasy, connection, something very deep. But I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say just that also it's not it's not just about religious people. I think it just generally it's a human experience of the desire to uh you know, be, do something really exciting, really meaningful, uh, make it, you know, really be there. Um, and then maybe it's, and, and, and people that are sort of younger, maybe they haven't had a chance to think about these things as much. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't want to, you know, some of these people talk about medical school and I used to think, and I'll be, use myself as an example. I didn't really think I was going to go to medical school and say, Oh, so many years of training, four years of, of uh, medicine and then four years of residency. It's so much training. And then when I actually did it, I mean, I, I, I this is a perfect example. I, I love the medical school because I love learning science and I love the training because I love learning about the brain and humans and people and working with people. So the whole journey was, you know, just so enjoyable. And I experienced so much on the journey that I was able to say, well, this that didn't matter that it took so long to, till I actually, I mean, I ended up going to a fellowship for three more years. But so, but I think that there's a danger of always thinking, well, I need to get to the end goal until I'm, until I'm finished. And like, I'm the finished product. None of that in the way matters. And I think that Sukkot is really one of the messages is the idea of like celebrating the journey. It's a celebration of the time when we traveled in the desert, right? It's not even about making it to the land of Israel. 
it's right and there's and there's a lot in the book has lots of examples i'm not going to give you all the examples in the book but there's lots of nice torah examples of how you see that in the holiday like you know we, we were celebrating drawing the water it's all different uh sources that sort of say that um and so that that's i think a really important part of sukkot another really important thing that i that i that i wanted to highlight about sukkot is the idea of different kinds of unity between people um you know, we have unity themes earlier on in the high holidays, but Sukkot is the time when we appreciate unity despite diversity, right? Like it's a time when we have um, people going back to their normal lives and, you know, one person maybe is the leader of the town, another person is the guy who's, uh, you know, uh, the doing the laundry, whatever. Each person is doing their own uh, their own role in the community. Um, one person is the water carrier, like one one person is the wood chopper, one person is the rich man of the town, right? Everyone has their own role. But Sukkot is a time when we say each person really has to be part of the group and we value and appreciate everyone's contributions, no matter how big or small they are. And it kind of connects with the idea of, which I said earlier, of like appreciating the journey, but like understanding that the goal isn't just to get to that one final thing. It's we need everyone uh, to get there, and we need everyone as part as part of the group. And I think this, so I think that's a really uh, also really important message of Sukkot, and it's, it's a nice message. This the second section on Sukkot is all about that. Um, so that, that's that's Sukkot, and and since we're talking about the end of the book, the, the very last sections of the book are about trying to really internalize the messages for the rest of the year, and, and also like personalize the messages to be able to. Um, use ideas that you've gathered over the high holidays and bring that into your own personal life. And I think that's part of what Torah is, is about creating like a meaningful life in each person's life. And so um, that's the, that's sort of like the very last section of the, of the book before the appendices, which are also interesting. (laughs) uh, Anyway, so. All right. People should check out the appendices when yeah, they're... the very last appen- uh, uh, of the appendix appendices was the one I, Rabbi Reichen had me change a lot, so you can see that was the one. <laughs> but but it's uh, it was a little controversial. Now it's a little bit less controversial, but so still you could go check it out. <laughs> so we, we've covered, I think, decent amount of ground, but of course, always more to talk about. Is there anything that I've left out that you want to highlight or emphasize? Um, no, I thought you did a great job. <laughs> we talked about everything. I did everything in the book. I hope people are excited about it. I hope people uh, check it out and read it. Yeah, I think this will be a great companion for people. They're going to synagogue. They have a good thing to read and to enhance their experience, as well as other people who are interested in, in Judaism and how it connects to and interacts with different ideas within the world of, of therapy and mental health in general. So really, really, really want to thank you. So we've taken up a lot of your time, and I want to ask you the, the traditional new books question. What are you working on now? What's your next project? Yeah, so I, 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 this is the thing that as I was writing this book, I actually started a few other projects. And I, I this is the danger of being a writer is that you start things, you don't finish them. I mean, thank, thank God I, I finished this this project after seven years. I have a lot of work and help with my edit, help from my editor at the end to push me, you know, push the book across the finish line. Um, but um, you know, I, I, I'd love to get to that book on 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 uh, mysticism, quantum mechanics and uh, and psychology <laughs> funny funny topic but uh 
and self-help, but, but I'm, I, that may be what the next, the next thing, but actually the, the thing that I'm the most excited about is actually, I, I'm, I'm hoping to, to do a, a whole book, just, um, focusing on uh, my, I, I mentioned my specialty is uh, addiction, focusing on families and how families can help their loved ones. Um, and I'd actually, I'm hoping to try to, to intertwine that with, um, personal stories. Uh, there's a family in our town that's really very active in um, increasing awareness about addiction. I don't know if you've heard of Leanne, ETL and Leanne Foreman. They have a very nice um, organization where they uh, teach, teach kids about addiction and they really increase awareness in the town and have they run a support group. Just do a lot to try to help uh, people that are struggling and prevent and work on prevention in terms of addiction. And they have a really interesting, compelling story with their own journey with their own daughter um, who struggled with addiction. And so I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping that they hear this. I've said this a few times. I met with them and we, we talked about doing this, but of course it's hard to keep up the momentum, but, but we are hoping to, to do a book where we can talk about, um, just the people that are, um, have loved ones in their lives that are maybe not, you know, that are struggling with, with these problems and, uh, how to think about it, how to talk to them, how to, how to approach it. It really is a, tragic and quite difficult for people and so i'm hoping that that that's a project i really like really believe in and really hope we can make happen so so um i keep saying it and thanks for inviting me and hopefully that'll get me to do it so all right and, and if they're listening hopefully here we go let's let's, let's make it happen so yeah. really appreciate it really appreciate your time we've been talking to dr matisio shulman author of reimagining repentance published by kodish press in 2023 happy reading my friends